Everybody's heard of Martin Luther King Jr. You know, I have a dream. Everybody knows that quote. But uh, you may not have heard of a guy called Dr. Howard Thurman, who was a, uh, a contemporary of Martin Luther King, and he was a, both a theologian and a civil rights uh, leader. And he said these words. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What the world needs is people who have come alive. And we are a people, if you've been listening recently, if you're at the uh, uh, church members meeting, we are a people who've been loved into life. We've come alive by the grace of God, by the love of God. And so we, if we continue in that love and that life, are what this world needs. Now, thankfully... Praise God this morning. You, you look, you guys, you seem and you feel and you look really alive. Yes. No, you really do. I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not saying, can I have an amen? You know, I mean, you really do feel, I don't know what it is, something in the weather may be and the water, I don't know whether it's, some of you have been to Big Church Day Out, or some of you haven't been to Big Church Day Out, I don't know. Some people at the Big Church lie in now. Because, thanks Mark, uh, good, because, uh, no, no, some of them are still striking camp and making their way back, I think. Um, but anyway, you're alive and it's good because this world needs people who've come alive with the love of God. And last week and this week, what I'm trying to do is I'm just going to give an overview about the river of life, um, which, which represents, it's in, in God's picture book, it represents the, that, the fact that we have been loved into life. It's by God's grace. It's by God's initiative. And last week, we looked at the significance of the river and the source of the river. The significance is this. If you remember, or if you weren't here, that God is in the purpose, he's got the plan of transforming the desolate places, the wasteland, the wilderness of our world, into the garden of God, into the garden of his presence. That place which speaks of God's creativity and beauty and diversity, but also, and and, and his nourishing of our soul and our heart, but also it speaks most of all of his presence. It's the place where Jesus, where God walked with Adam and Eve. It's a place where heaven touches earth. And his whole purpose is to transform this wasteland of a world into the garden of God. And how does he do it? Through the river. Through the river, through the life of God, working in and through and from his people. And we looked at the source of the river, and I'm glad we've just been singing, Worthy is the Lamb, Worthy is the Lamb, because the source of the river is from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The love that loves us into life is most perfectly and fully expressed at the cross where Jesus died for us. And not only does that that convince us of his love and so make us alive in his love, it teaches us how we also ought to love. As the Bible says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. Today I want to talk about, so last week was the significance and the source of the river. Today it's the fullness and the flow of the river. Notice all this alliteration going on. I must be a proper preacher at last. Okay. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Um, I've got the new living... Tra- Has anybody got an NIV? Yeah. 
A good, proper NIV? Oh. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, they do all these new versions now, don't they? With, um, yeah, now whether I'll be able to read that is another matter. Okay, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I'll manage, I'll manage. <laughs> Sorry? Ooh. No, I'm going to go for the old-fashioned way. That's all right, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Ezekiel 47, verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and let me, led me round, sorry, the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. And as the men went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another, water, another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region, that represents the wasteland of the world, and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it enters, empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Let me read that again. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Ekliam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, um, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit. They will bear fruit because this is a supernatural tree, okay? Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Because the water from the presence of God, from the, the, the water from the place of intimate worship flows from them. And their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. How on earth can you manage to read that? I mean, that's good. <laughs> You've got better eyes than I have done that. Okay. So I want to speak... This morning about the fullness of the river and the flow of the river. And what I'm doing, I'm, I'm just giving a kind of overview. I'm sure there's going to be many people who will bring rich truth out of this scripture. And we'll look at some details like the fact that it was on the south side and the east side or whatever. And the fact that it was ankle deep and then knee deep and waist deep. And the fact that, you know, this goes to the salt water. I'm sure there's lots of spiritual significance in them. But that right now, I'm just going to look at the big picture as it were. And I want to talk about the fullness of, river, of the river. Because what did Jesus say in John 10, verse 10? His way of talking about the river. He said, you know, the, 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 the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in its fullness. That's a way of talking about the river of life flowing into us and through us. It's life in all its fullness. And then the Apostle Paul, again, he didn't use the image of the river, but he's talking about the same thing when he says in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that you may know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. He says, I pray 
that you will know this love. This is Ephesians 3 and verse 19. That you will know the love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God wants us to be in fullness. And significantly there in Ephesians 3, where does that fullness of life come from? It comes from knowing the unknowable love of God. We are loved into this fullness of life. I just want to say a few things about it. I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning, but just a few things. We are designed to operate out of fullness of life that comes from God. See, every one of us, every human being is created. I know this is a kind of, I don't know, it's a kind of truism, it's a trite thing that's said, but it's true. Every one of us, every human being, has a God-shaped hole in them, in their hearts. We were made for relationship with God. That's why people are restless and looking for life in other places, because they've got this God-shaped hole. Uh, Augustine said it something like this. He said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were created to have an intimate relationship with God and to get our life from that relationship. And so when we operate out of that life from God, when we then go and meet other people and operate in the world, we're operating out of fullness and so we're able to be givers to people. We're able to sow life into people because we're getting our life from God. But what happens if we don't get our life from God through intimate union with God? we're operating there not out of fullness but out of emptiness and then what do we do we try to suck the life out of other things we try to fill that hole with other things so whenever instead of operating out of fullness we're operating out of emptiness we suck we are suckers basically that's what happens when you know and you can be really practical about this because you know, if I'm not getting my sense of fullness, that is, what I mean by that, my, my life from God, what I mean that is my sense of value, my sense of significance, my sense of fulfillment, that is, I'm being filled full by my relationship with God, my sense of fulfillment. If I don't get that and I start looking for it in other things, I start looking at it in what maybe people think about me, in people's approval, or maybe I'll look for it in a career or a, a ministry or something. And as soon as, for example, that person whom I'm looking to get my life out of lets me down or disappoints me or, or doesn't approve of me, and God, I, I, I'm messed up then. And I start trying to suck the life out of people. And that's where all conflict and all relationship problems come from, is that instead of operating out of the fullness of life that we get from relationship with God, we operate out of emptiness and we're trying to get our life from other people or other things. Understand? And so, you know, God, is, God completely operates out of fullness. There's no emptiness in God. There's no lack in God. There's no need in one sense in God. What's, what's happening in the Godhead is, and I can put it in these terms, it's like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are trying to just outdo one another in loving each other. <laughs> They're not trying to, the Father isn't trying to get his sense of life from the Son, you know, or, or, or the Son from the Spirit. They're operating completely out of fullness, and we're designed to do the same. And we get our fullness of life from God, and then we can be givers and not suckers. Yeah? Now, the fact, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great 
I'd like to imagine if I just go and have a time in the presence of God or I pray or I go to big church day out or whatever and I get, oh, it's just wonderful. I'm filled with the life of God. And then from now on, anybody I see, I'm just so, it's such a blessing to them. I'm just, you know, I'm just a source of life to them. And it doesn't operate like that, does it? Because most of us have little broken bits in us and little bits of emptiness within us. And we're learning, we're learning, aren't we? To get our life and our fullness out of God. But that's, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to learn how to do it by his grace. Okay. This is another thing as well that's important. The fullness of life that we um, receive from God, from being loved by God, is, it's a fullness which is, um, how can I put this? It's unique to you. And to me, we each have our unique expression of that fullness. So, um, God, you know, I love the whole thing about God getting his hands dirty. Because, you know, that when he, when he formed, in the Genesis 2 version of the creation story, he, he gets his hands dirty and he forms a man out of the dust of the ground. And what that says to me, a number of things is God doesn't mind getting his hands dirty, but, but also, we are handcrafted, every one of us. It's not a, no assembly line production with God's people. Each one of us are handcrafted. And we have got to learn to give expression to the fullness of the life of God as ourselves, not as, a, not as what we think we ought to be or what people expect us to be. I read something this earlier this week which kind of blew me away, just absolutely fine, by, by a Quaker guy called Parker Palmer. He says this, reflecting on his own life. He says, there are moments when it is clear, if I have the eyes to see, that the life I am living is not the same as the life that wants to live in me. And in those moments, I sometimes catch a glimpse of my true life. A life hidden like the river beneath the ice. I sometimes catch a glimpse of my true life. A life hidden like the river beneath the ice. I know what he's talking about, don't you? Times when I felt that I... I had to be somebody or, or I had to kind of perform to an expectation that I had of myself. Nobody else often was putting it upon me, but I had it of myself. It's a false life. And God wants us to learn to be the true us. You know, when you stand before heaven, when you stand before God and at the end of time in heaven and, uh, or the new heavens and the new earth. And, uh, you know, God will never say to you, why weren't you more like Moses? You know, well, why weren't you more like David, you know, or why weren't you more like Trevor Shotter, just to exalt him into that company? <laughs> Rightly so. so. Or why weren't you more like Stelton? No, they say, why, why weren't you the best Trevor you could have been? Or why weren't you the best Paul you could have been? Or, or why weren't you the best? In fact, I don't think he actually will do that because I think he'll just be so overwhelmed by his love. But, but you know what I mean? It's that the, the accountability is not to be like somebody else. It's to just be the selves that he's made us to be. So in expressing this fullness of life, express it as how God and who God has made you to be. Don't try to be anybody else and don't try to be what you feel you ought to be. Be who God has made you to be. Two other points on fullness, and then I've got a little bit on flow. The two points, the two next points on fullness are basically this. This fullness is for the whole of you, and it's for the whole of life. This fullness of life is for the whole of you, and it's for the whole of life. What do I mean when I say it's for the whole of you? Well, do you remember I, when I was preaching just a few weeks ago, I talked about it's great that God has made us alive in, in our spirit. But he also wants to make us whole in our soul. <laughs> so the salvation of God 
um, is, is, is to fill every part of us. There's a mo- there was a moment when we, we um, I mean, there may have been a process building up to it, but there was a moment when we committed our life to Jesus Christ. We were born again by the Spirit. We came alive in our spirits. We were dead in our sins, but then we, in a moment we were made alive in the Spirit. But God doesn't want us to be just alive in the Spirit. I mean, it's, it's, that's a wonderful thing. I could just stop and talk about that, but... Uh, and it is wonderful, and it's wonderful when you're in the presence of God and you're worshipping. And there's a great song we did last, yesterday, I come alive, I feel alive, I come alive on God's great dance floor. Or dancing. And it's true, when you're in the presence of God, it, you come alive. But that's in your spirit. And you're aware that sometimes you're alive in your spirit, but there's still loads of dead and empty and barren places in your soul. And there's a process of allowing the life of God, like the river of God, to wash us. And to cleanse us and to, and to mend those broken pieces and to cleanse those areas where we need cleansing. God is after the whole person. And the word of God doesn't just, we are born again by the word of God. But the Bible also says this in James, he says, um, humbly, and this is very important given the word that God speaks to us about replanting. Humbly accept the word planted in you um, because it is able to save you because it is able to save your soul is what it actually says humbly accept the word planted because it's able to save your soul and the word salvation <coughs> excuse me literally means being made whole sozo made whole and it's a process that's why the bible talks about you have been saved you are made alive in your spirit you are being saved there's a process and you will be saved on the day that he returns. It's a, but there's a process of being made whole. And one of the things about the river. And again I'm just doing this by way of overview. I'm sure many other people are going to hone in on aspects of this. But by way of overview let's just say this. The river takes us on a journey. Even the whole thing about going ankle deep. And then knee deep. And then waist deep. Is telling us there's a process. And one of the things that we can be guilty of. Sometimes as charismatics if we're not careful. Is that we want a quick fix. We just think we have a great meeting and, oh, God touches me and, oh, I fall over and shake or whatever. That suddenly it's all solved. Well, listen, I'm not knocking those times. They're great when, you, when, you, when you're impacted by the presence of God. Normally what I find it does to me is not sort everything out. It just creates in me a greater longing and a desire to work with him to sort them out. But there's a process then. And we must be people, if we're going to be people of the river of life, we honor process. We allow God to take us on a journey. What do I mean when I say honor process? It's just to realize that God's salvation, God's transformation takes time and is progressive. And it's this whole thing allowing him into those areas of our life where we need work on. Let him get his hands dirty with him. It's all about process. And I don't know about you, but I found this. When the river's really moving, it's wonderful. And you get caught in the river and it's charismatics. We love all that. Remember those songs we used to sing in the 90s? There's a river. There's a river, there's a river flowing from. None of you look at you looking at me. Is it what on earth is he doing? But, but we did sing that song. It wasn't just me. I didn't remember this. There's a river, there's a river, there's a river flowing from the throne. It's because I'm singing it in a completely wrong tune probably. But if, if I sang the right tune, you'd recognize it. Do you recognize it, Simon? There you go. Simon recognizes it. What's the tune again? No, it's right. It's just a matter. Or um, there was another one. The river of God sets my feet a dancing. The river of God. We love it all, don't we? We love all that stuff, and rightly so. But I don't know about you, I find when the river's flowing like that, a lot of stuff gets stirred up from the, from the riverbed. I don't, I don't find I suddenly come out all just wonderfully spiritual and mature. I find that what's happened is he's, 
graciously expose certain things <laughs> so he can work with me on them. And that's okay. That's okay. Because he loves us. He's here not to condemn us. He's here to save us, to make us whole. So go with him on the process. Okay. The fullness of life, the, the fullness of life is there for the whole of you. But it's also for the whole of life. And can I just in, encourage you? Um, I've got a thing here I want to read to you in a moment. I, I was talking about on, on the, the, the family evening. I, I have a lot more to say about this. But it's good for us to learn what John Ortberg calls the with God life. The with God life. He's basically talking about, and some of us are learning this in a fresh way. Um, learning the habits, the daily habits of life that enable us to practice the presence of God. That help us to be present to God in daily life. Because, I don't know about you, but with me, I find, I mean, I, can have, I, mean, I love God. I love God. There's no question about it. I love him. He's captivated. You see, he's calling me now, you see. So it's... it's um, and it doesn't mind being put on hold. Um, but um, he's, I love him. I've got a relationship with him. I have moments of just intense sense of his presence. I've also had moments when I've felt nothing. But I've had moments where I've felt his presence. But even then, I'm a lover of God. Not about you, but I can go through a whole day and just not even think about him. Oh, look, you're looking all spiritual at me now. Like, oh, no, we don't experience that. We're just, we're just conscious of him all of the time. No, you're not. <laughs> Tell the truth. <laughs> we do, we forget him. We go through a whole day and we're dealing with stuff. And, and they think, oh God, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. There's things that we can learn to do what an old monk called Brother Lawrence said is to practice the presence of God. Learning to be present to God. And there's little habits that we can learn. And I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of teaching on that. But here's one thing about it. Let's learn to live the with God life without any sacred or secular divide. So we're not just, you know, we know God is with us, don't, don't we? He's, he promised to be with us. He's never going to leave us. We've just got to learn to be with him. But it's not just in the spiritual experiences or the seemingly obviously spiritual disciplines like praying. It's in everything of life. Jesus, you know, the, um, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And there are things that make you fully alive, you know what, that have got nothing to do with prayer. Nothing seemingly to do with worship, although I would say they have. Nothing seemingly to do with spiritual things. How many of you enjoy, there's some of you here who enjoy cycling. I don't know why you would, but you do. <laughs> there's, some, there's some here, Chris isn't here, but there's others I think who do with it, who love rally car driving. Basically dangerous driving, off-road dangerous driving, you know, nearly crashing. And, but it makes them feel alive. For some of you, it's, it's, it's cooking food and baking. For some of us, it's eating food. So we need to connect up. <laughs> You're doing all right. You're doing all right. <laughs> Do you know what, friends? Just, en- just enjoying life and not being spiritual about it, but, but, but being with God. In those times, you know, oh, that cake smells good. Thank you, Jesus. You know, whatever. So it's got nothing to do with my sermon. I was just thinking it there, but now, oops. A few um, months ago, Jeanette, I don't know how long ago it was now, but Jeanette, when she was preaching, shared with us a great quote, if I can find it, by G.K. Chesterton. 
uh, it just talks about how God, apart from anything else, God enjoys life. And seriously on this, folks, it, it can be a serious issue. Because one of the biggest regrets I have in life, I'm not trying to big into regrets, but one of the regrets I have in life is that I didn't stop to enjoy just moments with my children far more. No, just, just special moments. Yeah, not, not, sorry, not special moments. Not, not particular things, but just general things where, you know, they just wanted to have a bit of a laugh and a play and a, a tumble or whatever. And I was too busy being spiritual. You know, I was too busy doing the things that I expected of myself. Or, and I, I regret that. Please don't, those of you who are young parents, don't make the same mistake. He's a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. Learn from my mistake. Don't make that mistake. And, and, and John Ortberg, in his book, he's writing about this. I'll come on to G.K. Chesterton in a minute. He's writing about um, uh, a day when he, because he's, he's very much like me, he would be thinking, oh, I need to get to the next place now. I need to get onto the next thing. And one day his little girl was just saying, um, he, started, he, he said to, to get ready because they were going somewhere. Nothing well, particularly important, they were just going somewhere. And she said, like, um, like Isabel, Isabel does so beautifully at the front here, well, just a little dance. She said, I'm having a... Oh, she does it far better than I just did it, by the way. <laughs> but I'm just having a, a do-da day, a do-da day, or a dee-da day, or something like that. I said, no, 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 we haven't got any time for a do-da day. I said, we've got to get to... So on, so on. But eventually he kind of thinks that this is a God moment, or it's just a life moment, where just enjoy dancing and playing with your child. And God's in that. That's being fully alive. And anyway, I say that because John Ortberg, when he's talking about that, he... He reminds us of that G.K. Chesterton quote. He reminds us what life is, God is like. You know what? God is the happiest being that ever, that has ever lived. <laughs> he is happy and he enjoys life. God, <laughs> yeah, God really, really enjoys life. And so he quotes G.K. Chesterton. Because children have abounding vitality, it's just another word for life. Because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. It may be that life has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. God is full of life and vitality and enjoyment and happiness. And the invitation to be in the river of life is not just to to pray and do the seemingly spiritual things. When we're enjoying the things that make us alive, that's worship, I believe. That's worship. Let me just have a quick bit of fun with this. Um, because he also says, let's just imagine if God were more like we can be sometimes when it came to creating the earth. And his, his creative week, his working week, was a bit like ours can be sometimes. He says, imagine this is it now. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, so God had to go to work. <laughs> he filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but thought it sounded like too much work. And besides, thought, God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what, it's, what he had done and he said, oh, I'll have to do. <laughs> and on the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land. And he made all the dry land flat, plain and functional. So that behold, 
the whole earth look like Idaho. I mean, <laughs> that only works if you're American. Let's, how can we do it here? Let's see the whole world look like Norfolk or something. I don't know. Uh, so, oh, sorry, sorry. Does somebody come from Norfolk? Sorry. Uh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Ruth. <laughs> Lincolnshire? No, I don't. <laughs> he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. And God looked at what he had done that day and he said, it'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. Besides, it was almost time for the late show, this American. So God looked at all he had done and he said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burnt out. And so he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday. And uh, aren't you glad that God is not like that? God enjoys life. He enjoys his work. He enjoys creativity. He's a happy God and he invites us to be the same. Let me just say one thing against that, not against that, but alongside that's really important. For us to experience this fullness in the whole of life, no sacred or secular divide, but everything that we do that brings us alive, just being an expression of God, a human being, a glory, the glory of God as a human being fully alive. This is not just a message. Fullness of life is not just for extroverts. Okay, it's not just for positive thinkers. It's not, it's not just for those who naturally are kind of happy, kind of go-lucky people. I'm glad about that because I'm not like that. Those of you who know me. I'm a glass, I'm afraid, I'm sorry to say, but it's true. I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'm me. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy, you know, rather than glass half. I'm sorry, it's the way it is. And even then, even when the glass is half empty, I'm worried that somebody's going to come and knock it over and spill it anyway. So, but, and so I'm more, ne- I, I, can, I can be quite negative. But, but this is not just about being a positive thinker. And in fact, fullness of life in this world means that we, have to, we should be open to experiencing everything fully. And that means not just the good times and the happy times. You know, if you have suffered a loss, if you're grieving for a lost loved one, it's not lovefulness in life to say, oh, well, never mind, God is good, hallelujah. No, no, you need to experience that grief fully. That's part of the fullness of life. Experience it emotionally. I'm not, I'm not talking about overindulgent. I'm not saying give way to self-pity or despair, but I'm saying part of the fullness of life is whatever experiences there are, is to be able to, in the grace of God, enter into them fully. I'm glad that Jesus entered into the cross fully. He didn't just skip that to the resurrection. He entered into the cross fully. And so this side of his coming again anyway, we need to, I, I need to move on. I'm just going to say one thing about flow. It's important though. I hope you caught something what I mean by the fullness of life there, just in general terms. Flow. We're going to learn things together again. We will be doing some of this about the dynamics of how we flow together in the presence of God. One of the priorities we said is to learn, to keep on learning how to honor, host and honor the presence of God when we gather together for worship. And there are things that we can learn. There's dynamics when we gather together that can either help or hinder 
the flow of God's presence among us. We did a great job this morning, guys, by the way. They do a fantastic job. Fantastic. And, that, and, and, and we, that's what we want more of. More of that. And, and, and more besides. Okay. But flow is not just the dynamics of what goes on a meeting. Flow comes down to our individual lives too. And Proverbs 4, verse 12 says this. Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Out of it flow the issues of life. So I want to, we've had fun, and we've talked about the fullness of life, and that's wonderful, but I want to urge you and encourage you. And I believe the Holy Spirit is doing this, not with judgment, not with harshness, but with the relentless gentleness of his spirit. But nevertheless, getting his face up to it, there are things that need, you know, because the river can't flow when there's boulders and there's buildup of silt and there's stuff. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to come. Our Father, the gardener, to get his hands dirty and help us to clear out of our hearts anything that is hindering the flow. Anything that's hindering the flow of, of, of God's life in us and among us and through us and towards one another. We've got to get rid of anything that's hindering the flow. You know, what I enjoyed about being at the big church day out yesterday, one of the things I enjoyed about it, I mean, it's like a barrage of sound, but, 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 you know, it, but there's loads of great things from it. And one of the things I really loved is that, God, you know, there is a river flowing right across our world. And you can't stop that flow. God is moving. God is transforming lives and transforming communities and transforming nations and people groups right across our world. He's doing it. The river is flowing. The issue is whether we're going to be part of that flow individually and together as a community. And so let us resolve in the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit to deal with anything in our hearts that would hinder the flow. And and just partner with God and cooperate with him in allowing him to come and root out anything that shouldn't be there. And so I'm, I'm starting where Alison began. Let's all stand together and put our hands on our hearts. <laughs> Lord, I'm so glad and so grateful to you. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I thank you for the life of God among your people here, among us all here. And Lord, we just say, whatever you need to deal with in our hearts, whatever we need to work with you to deal with in our hearts, would you do it so that all that flows through us and from us, toward one another and toward the wasteland of our world, Lord, is life and love. Love and life. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's finish there and have a coffee, folks, shall we?